Football was back. And right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. Bet365 has wall-to-wall Premier League football, with games being played nearly every day. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment via live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello listener, I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up today... Did Manchester United need to go into the transfer market for another forward, given Mason Greenwood's red-hot form? What exactly is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer whispering to Nathan Ake after that 5-2 victory over Bournemouth? And could there be another Uruguayan at Old Trafford soon? Also among that, we're going to have a look at other names in Manchester United's product line, and we might mention Jaden Sancho just one more time. As ever, I am joined by Laurie Whitwell, Manchester United writer for The Athletic. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm Bukai, you okay? I'm very well. How often have you watched that clip of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer talking to Nathan Ake now? I've watched it a few times trying to distinguish exactly what he's saying. And yeah, a few different opinions, but we'll, we'll get into it later. I've certainly got my own. Uh, also with me is United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Mr Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? All good, Carl. Glad to be joining you. How is uh, United We Stand doing? We're about to do a summer issue. I feel that the the mail system is getting back to not normal, but it's getting better. Uh, news agents are opening back up again. We've, we've still got a big problem with uh, no fans at matches, but we've got lots of very loyal subscribers. So I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm just sort of waiting to see how the season goes out because if Manchester United were to win the FA Cup on the first of August or the Europa League mid August. I'd like that to be reflected, but it's also a monthly publication, so just got to work out the best time to do it. But our summer issue is usually the best-selling one of the year in the shops because we can't sell it at grounds. That's taken on a new dimension this year, but I'll keep you updated and cheers for asking. No worries. Listener, before we get started, you can read all of Laurie and Andy's latest writing on The Athletic for free if you just go to The Athletic and take advantage of our free 30-day trial. Simply go to www.theathletic.com slash manunitedpod and you're away till the end of the season. That's www.theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Manchester United have won three Premier League games in a row. They went behind against Bournemouth and then beaten 5-2. It was maybe one of the most entertaining games United have played all season. Laurie, <laughs> how was it for you? Really enjoyable. Obviously, one of the privileged for you to, to be in the stadium watching it I, I do feel a bit guilty about that given you know you'd, you'd want fans being there but actually watching it firsthand the pace of the game was what sort of struck me the fact that yeah United went behind but you never really felt they were in danger of losing the game because they had such attacking potency Greenwood once again incredible you could hear the motivation from Solskjaer on the touchline and, and you could see the the coaches kind of getting together quite frequently to sort of work out how they were going to best sort of um, get the players in, in the right mode to, to attack Bournemouth and and go for the, the jugular really because I think that was a game that you know you look at 5-2 and it sounds sort of a, perhaps a bit you know ridiculous to say but they could have actually scored more you know um, and they could have really put a marker down for the goal difference tally that I think United are looking at as, as a way of making sure that they can get into that top four so a really enjoyable game as you say bonkers absolutely mad but um, good good to witness Andy give me your verdict of that game there was a point definitely 
after Harry Maguire got nutmegged, I thought, oh God, here we go again. I, I continue to really enjoy watching Manchester United play football, albeit it would be 20 times better if fans were allowed there. I thought the attack was hugely impressive, uh, especially Bruno Fernandes. Again, 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 he's man of the match all the time. Mason Greenwood was brilliant. The defence less so. It was the shakiest I've seen him for a long time. And Maguire's been a really good signing, but it was probably his worst game for Manchester United. De Gea beating at the near post, that, that shouldn't be happening. But how can anyone argue with, with seven goals and this unbeaten run continues and the buzz and uh, you, um, enthusiasm? I was going to say euphoria, but I'm not going to get too carried away <laughs> because <laughs> Manchester United are still not in the top four. But yeah, it's good and it's just more evidence of the team getting stronger the same team being picked uh, for the third game uh, for the first time in a, in a long time um, three consecutive uh, um, uh, victories now it's, it, it's, it's all pointing in the right direction and that is not something we've been able to say for a lot of this season so enjoyed it and brilliant goals Martial brilliant um, good to see Marcus Rashford stand up and take the penalty I think it's quite important to him that he takes penalties and and to score a penalty because he's not scored since uh, the the restart and then um, Fernandes is the man so thumbs up from me Let's talk about some of these goals my pick of the bunch uh, was uh, Anthony Martial's that made me sort of leap up from my living room and do a knee slide but uh, Laurie you've written a piece called X Greenwood (laughs) all about the uh, young striker now admittedly I'm a bit of a stats nerd and Greenwood is rapidly outperforming his XG. You think uh, he might kick on and make this sustainable? Yes, that's what I think. Good, yes. Because Tom Warville's our stats guy at uh, The Athletic. He's absolutely uh, you know, a right brain box for this kind of stuff. And he was helping guide me through what XG you know, totally means. I kind of get my... I sort of understand it a little bit, but the underlying principles of it he was helping me with. And he was sort of saying that, listen, it's a small sample size for, for Mason Greenwood. Eight goals um, that he scored only 2.4 expected goals so that's basically saying that he's scoring from chances that your kind of average Premier League striker wouldn't necessarily score from and ultimately that will revert back to the norm because it can't be sustained I don't know I kind of have a slightly different more optimistic interpretation maybe it's the United bias but the way that he's scoring his goals is so impressive it's, it's full of conviction so that first chance obviously shifted onto his left foot bang really quick finish powerful two pal for, all, for Aaron Ramsdale so the second finish he receives the ball with his back to goal about 20 yards out turns shifts 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 and there's that brilliant clip from from bt sport and obviously we'll get on to some more bt sport clips after but um <laughs> this particular one is is bournemouth defenders and aaron ramsdale shouting don't let him turn don't let him turn i don't think that's going to be good enough against mason greenwood because he can score with such power off either foot so you know and we saw he, he, he whips it into the top corner and being there you sort of it was a real wow moment that that finish for me i agree with you i think marshall's goal was probably the best the, the pick of the bunch but in terms of showing what Greenwood can do on a consistent basis, I thought those two finishes were, were really uh, really great examples because he will get the ball in those kind of positions quite frequently if, if you've got that front five in, in motion in full working order so I was really positive about it and I looked back at his, his previous goals and there's only the one goal against Sheffield United where Ma- Marcus Rashford pings a beautiful cross into the six yard box that is count- counted by Opta as a, as a big chance so you know a chance where you'd expect the striker to score more often than not he's had two other big chances and not scored them but he's had 31 shots and eight goals it's, it's a ridiculously high conversion rate so I don't know listen I, I, I hope that he can continue this form he's only 18 you know there's 
there's it's a lot of of expectancy on his shoulders, I suppose. But at the same time, I think he is a really special talent. So I'm hopeful. Andy, you've seen more Manchester United strikers than anyone on this podcast. What are you making of Greenwood's form? Hot streak or is he the real deal? I think he's a real deal and people who followed the fortunes of the club and the, the, the youth system have known it for a, a couple of years. I think the issue with him is, is keeping his feet on the ground and making sure that he listens to the coaches. I spoke to Nicky Butt about him uh, not so long ago and he said Mason can be anything that he wants to be but he's got to listen to us and he's got to be coached properly and he's not the fully formed player at 18. Uh, nobody is. A rarity in that the youth system at Old Trafford has produced great players consistently for decades, but very few of them have been strikers. And if you look back in the last decade, there was a lot of excitement around a couple of lads who, who, who came through and not really worked out for them. Um, Who's the lad who went to Aberdeen? Wilson. James Wilson. Um, everybody thought that he was going to be a, a top player and Danny Welbeck's probably the, been the most successful one of the class of 92. Um, none of them were, were strikers and there were always lads coming through. I can remember a lot of excitement around Fraser Campbell, Giuseppe Rossi. I mean, he, he came at like 16, 17, but I'm really encouraged by Greenwood and it's really interesting what Laurie's saying uh, about the way that he scores and I think he can be a world-class player and I know that there has been offers for him uh, go back a year, uh, Juventus were, were prepared to offer his family life-changing amounts of money. And Manchester United, I think they deserve credit for the way in which they got him to sign a new contract and they basically said to him, you will get chances here. There's a clear pathway for you into this first team, but you have to be patient. And he stayed at the club. You know, Paul Pogba didn't stay at the club in 2012 and the, the circumstances were slightly different then. So a bit of credit to, to United for keeping him and for, for his development. It's great that you've got him and Marcus Rashford. You know, you've got two lads now, having had this, this drought of strikers, you've got Rashford and Greenwood, who've both come through the, the youth system. And it's really encouraging. I think that youth players are a really important part of Manchester United's DNA it's not the be all and end all United should still be in the market to buy the best players but to have two of the three forwards come through the youth system and start to produce pretty consistently I think it's, it's, it's fantastic it is fantastic it has also provided some questions from listeners to this podcast particularly from uh, Ludovic Lubier uh, at Ludu Lub. Thank you for question, getting your question in. Uh, who asks, Sancho would be great, but do we need him with the way Greenwood is playing right now? Laurie, I want to throw this one to you. I would uh, say that the way that Greenwood playing is playing, it's obviously very encouraging, but it shouldn't influence the way that United wants to approach the market this summer. Um, because, And Solskjaer has been quite clear about this, hasn't he? I mean, he, he was asked a question last week in his press conference, um, a very straightforward question about the, the form of his strikers. Does he really need another striker or another right winger? They're two of the positions, they're sort of separate positions, but equally maybe you could have one player that, that suits both. Um you know, would, do you still need that position? He was very emphatic in his answer. He could have easily passed it up and, and just praised his own players, but he said that United has always been striving in that, that area of the pitch to be the best, to have multiple options. He 
mentioned his own playing career and how Teddy Sheringham came in, Wayne Rooney came in, uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy came in. So he, he knows that always United should be looking at adding in, in that area if they can. Um, so I think that's why I, I still say that Jaden Sancho would be an excellent addition to United because he's clearly got very good quality is of an age that can improve you know so his value fits from a, from a club perspective financial perspective he can sustain his value for a number of years he's, he's been posting very good numbers for Dortmund the last couple of years and I think that if United really do have designs on challenging for the title this is a summer where they can really act to make sure that that is the case build on the momentum they've, they've, they've uh, created so far with this running the second half of the season and if they can get Sancho on board, look at that as an attacking you know lineup. It'll be up to Solskjaer to keep them all happy, and it might not be a, an easy thing to do. But I think even the players would agree that having better you know teammates in the building is only a, a good thing for the club because they've got designs on winning the title and you know one day winning the Champions League again. Andy, how about you? Four informed strikers at all time, or let's not block Greenwood's progression. You need more than the three strikers. And Ollie spoke from experience when he had four top strikers trying to fit into the two of the 4-4-2 system, which won Manchester United the treble. Every one of those strikers has had times when they've been way out of form, when they've stopped scoring, when they've looked exhausted from playing too many matches. I don't think you can ask a teenage footballer to be playing every single week. I think if Jadon Sancho arrived at Old Trafford, everybody would welcome that. Uh, hopefully he would be great. As I said on a previous podcast, I've watched him three times live now and he's yet to have a good game, so I hope that wouldn't continue when he when he comes to Old Trafford. But people I know at Dortmund who, who, who follow the team every week say he's, he's absolutely sensational. What I think will happen is a situation where, yes, Dortmund do want to sell. They don't want him to run his contract down. And no, I don't think Manchester United will be prepared to pay anything like the sort of figures that Dortmund were used to getting. For players like Usami Dembele, I think you'd be looking more at the sort of Pulisic price range because the economics of the football market have changed with, with COVID. Speaking of Sancho, Christian Falk, who is head of sport at Bild, the German newspaper, and very much a man with very strong connections within German football, says that if United wants to bid for Jadon Sancho, the deal must be done by August 10th. And the, that's... Slap bang in the middle of the Europa League sort of run. Do you think Manchester United would be making such bids by then? A Europa League run which is happening in and around Dortmund, eh? So it wouldn't be far to do the <laughs> negotiating. I think that if, if, a, if a bid went in on uh, August the 11th, uh, it wouldn't be too problematic. It, it, I can see what Dortmund are doing trying to get uh, the media to do some of their, their bidding, but they nor Manchester United can control... Uh, this market I think you're going to have a, a standoff between two prices United definitely like him but they've looked at option B option C option D option E as well and I just cannot see uh, United paying 100 million euros and the, the exchange rate is pretty weak as well between the pound and the euro at the moment uh, because of Brexit because of well, for several other reasons and I, I, it's all right Dortmund saying that they want to sell to their point, they're not in the dire financial straits that, that they were um, 15 years ago. They can, they've made so much money out of the transfer market, but th they don't want to hold on to an asset who's going to deteriorate in value as his contract runs down. So they want uh, an auction situation where it's United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Barca, Madrid, PSG. 
I've spoken to people close to the situation. That is just not happening. It's just not happening. He's not going back to City. Liverpool do not pay 100 million for players. Uh, Barca financially are, are struggling. Real Madrid have got so many types of Sancho players. So that leaves PSG and, and Manchester United. I'm, I'm told that Chelsea um, would be unlikely uh, to go for him, even though that's been a club where he's, he's strongly being linked with. It's going to run and run, isn't it? It will probably become, uh, to some pain, the, the summer transfer saga. I can't say that I enjoy it, but I would like to see Sancho come to, to United because I think he's got a great future ahead of him. Going to throw this to you very quickly, Laurie. Do you think this is going to be a story that's going to run and run all summer? I, I probably think it, it will do. I know I, I take Andy's point totally on, on what Dortmund are probably trying to do and get their business done quicker so that they can plan for next season. August the 10th seems like a fairly reasonable cut-off date uh, from their perspective. But from United perspective, they, they've done this before with Harry Maguire and Bruno Fernandes where they've taken their time on it and tried to negotiate down. You can argue over the merits of that and whether uh, ultimately United got a better deal or whether the results, uh, at, you know, for, for example, Maguire pre-season would that have been beneficial Bruno start of January clearly that would have been more beneficial so you've got a way that up and think well listen is it worth you know haggling over five five million or so for the fact of having the player in the door in your squad and, and building towards something so I would like to see something done quicker or if it's not going to happen walk away um I know that negotiations can often ebb and flow, so maybe it's not as simple as that. But um, yeah, I, I can see this one kind of having a, a bit more legs in it than, than August the 10th. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, there's a little bit of footage right after the Bournemouth game where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looks to have said to Nathan Ake of Bournemouth, good luck. Twitter lip readers have a question whether or not he said to Nathan Ake, we need a left-sided centre-back. Laurie, we've, talk, we've joked about this at the start of this podcast. You said you've watched the clip a couple of times. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think he, I don't know, listen, only he knows what he said exactly. It does seem like he, he could have said we need a left-sided centre-half or centre-back rather. Um, he, you know, somebody else I spoke to did, did think he was sort of referring to Maguire's uh, the nutmeg on him and saying you, you do need a little bit of luck. But listen, either way, I think it, it's kind of a sign that Solskjaer is comfortable in his own skin at United going onto the pitch and, and sort of talking to opposition players. Um, you know, it's no no bad thing I don't think and also the wider point is that United are that is a position that United are looking at you know left-sided centre-half a left a left-footed centre-half more specifically I suppose but only if I think Marcus Rojo goes so clearly he's, he's been out of the team I think he's got designs on, on ultimately going back to Argentina where he's been on loan so that's something that United would look to address if he does go I don't think it's one of those that it's listen it's 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 number one priority you know for United I think they're, they're looking at the, the top end of the pitch clearly they would they would like to add a defender um, if they could but I don't think it's one that they're pursuing with absolute you know full energy um, and it's and Ake is a clearly talented defender I think we've spoken on different podcasts or, or certainly written about him by, by different authors on The Athletic for Manchester City's interest in him Chelsea have obviously got a buyback option um, from when they sold him to Bournemouth so there's clubs involved there but I think it's one where United I don't know I even think with Ake United might still want a, a kind of more robust centre-half a defender that has very good speed a very good left foot which Ake does have he's, he's, a, he's a ball playing centre-half but I don't, I don't think it should be seen as Oli making his first move on the Nathan Ake transfer I'd be a little bit more cautious than that 
Andy, I want to hear your thoughts here. Axel Tuanzebe is a player who Ole Gunnar really likes. Everybody at the club likes him. There's people at the club think that he's good enough to be absolute top class, Ferdinand class, Vidic class, but he's got to do it. And the time to do it was this season. And he's had a season which has been interrupted by, by injuries. United can't wait forever. Sometimes there are just situations with players who... Um, for whatever reason, it doesn't doesn't quite happen for them. Uh, when I spoke to Ollie, he said his priority was to build a solid base, and he did that last summer, uh, bringing in Aaron Wan-Bissaka, bringing in uh, Harry Maguire. I think if you asked United fans which areas could the team be improved in, Lindelof's name would comes up. Would come up. He's, he's clearly very good. Is he in the same class as the players I've just mentioned? Probably not. And that leads to suggestions that United are going to bring somebody in. Laurie was right to touch on Marcus Rojo. He got awarded a huge new contract, which he probably didn't deserve. He earns a lot of money. Estudiantes, where he's been playing, they couldn't afford to pay one-fifth of the type of money that he's on at Old Trafford. So United would probably want to get rid, or they definitely would like to get rid of Rojo, not even for a transfer fee, um, just to get his wages off off the books uh, at Old Trafford. The defence is is now it's the second best in the league uh, after Liverpool's. So it was a bit of a surprise to concede to against Bournemouth and before that there'd been 11 clean sheets in, in uh, 15 matches. So the defence is definitely better. Um, De Gea obviously will be a talking point every time he, he makes a mistake. But looking at the bigger picture from this season, I think we've got to be happy with Manchester United's defence. And Luke Shaw's had another good season. Harry Maguire and Wan-Bissaka in their first seasons have done really, really well. And I, I can only see it getting better. The question is, will Victor Lindelof be a mainstay? Will it be Axel Tuanzebi or will it be a, another player who comes in? Harry sponsors Talk of the Devils podcast. Brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Harry knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. There's a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So if you're in the middle of lockdown and your beard isn't quite the way you want it, I'd recommend getting a bit of Harry's. And the great news is, as a listener of Talk of Those podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and you can get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash talkofthedevils right now. That's harrys.com slash talkofthedevils. Right then, I'm going to dive into some other articles both of you have written on The Athletic. Uh, Andy, starting with you, you've written a piece about uh, Uruguayan winner Facundo Pelistri. If I've got that name wrong, I'm very sorry. You can message us on social media soon. Uh, Andy, who is this player? And uh, tell me about his links to another former Manchester United player. I thought you were Uruguayan, the way you pronounced <laughs> his name there, Carl. I'm really, really impressed by it. He's... 18 years old, he plays on the right-hand side at Peñarol, who are one of the two biggest clubs in Uruguay, uh, a country which produces footballers, a country of just 3 million people who managed to reach the World Cup semi-final t- 10 years ago, where Diego Forlan was the top scorer in the competition. And, and now, Diego, aged 41, has just got into his first management job at Peñarol. The club he grew up supporting, 
where his father played for, and Diego played there actually later on is in his career. And he's only been in charge for five games, but he feels that Facundo, I'm not going to try and pronounce his second name, has got what it takes to become a top player. However, um, his finishing needs to improve massively. He's extremely fast. Uh, he's a good kid. He speaks English. He's from a good family. There's been a lot of interest in him. Real Madrid, Manchester City. Uh, he would love to keep him at Peñarol. And I've, I've known Diego since he's been at Old Trafford and known him for 20 years. And I've ghosted his columns um, for various newspapers over the years. He's a really good guy. And... I think he was quite happy to be in Montevideo at home during the lockdown because he's got three young children as, as well now. He's got his brother as his assistant manager, but his standout player is Palestri. And he just wants to keep him as long as possible because he wants to win the league this year. Peñarol are in the Copa Libertadores. Um, he's described to me as someone who's like Ryan Giggs uh, running with the ball he's faster than other players who've not got the ball he's just got to improve his end product and by that I mean shooting scoring but if you're going to listen to anybody then Forlan would be a fantastic person to listen to because like Forlan he is two-footed he's only 18 years old and uh, United are, are extremely interested they've been following him closely uh, Oli Gunnar likes to speak to his former teammates who judgment he trusts and Diego Forlan is absolutely one of those people and uh, Oli Gunnar is someone who's at the forefront of finding out as much information as possible about any incoming players to Manchester United he did it with Wamba Saka he spoke for hours he spoke on the phone to the player to, to Dougie Friedman at Crystal Palace and he's got a very clear idea of, of what he wants. And I'm not saying now that Manchester United are going to sign him because, as I said earlier, you've got the A target, the B target, the C target. But Facundo is someone who United have been very interested in and, and it's fantastic that they are and that they're not just scouting like some people seem to think uh, buying English players. If there is a game-changing young player, as he looks to be, in Uruguay, and he's only in the Uruguayan league, you know, he's not doing this in a, a, a major league, but he's eight and he looks good and before I wrote the piece I spoke to a lot of people about it off the record but I got a lot of good information and I watched him a lot on the various packages like Scout, which us journalists have access to when we're trying to get more detail into our articles and yeah he looks great he looks great until he gets in the box <laughs> but he is only 18 but not everyone can be Mason Greenwood can they? Laurie you've also been writing about some uh, other promising teenagers that are coming to Manchester United from the academy um, I'm reading names like Garner, Mengi, Levick, Laird and Kovar some of these I know some of these I don't know uh, please give us a bit of a rundown that was the idea that I would sort of give readers a flavour of um, some of the kids that they might have heard of some that they wouldn't have heard of necessarily but yeah five I picked five there was, there's more that I could have included but those five because uh, three of them are now training with the first team so James Garner Ted and Mengi and Ethan Laird have, have all are all training with the first team at present so it, it gives Solskjaer a bit more men on the ground gives him, gives him a chance to, to look at them um, up close you know you never know that, that last game at home um, second leg 
you know, from a five nil aggregate advantage, you think maybe some of the kids could could play in that just to give them some game time. So that's pop pop pong consideration. And then Dylan Levitt, who I really like the look of. Um, Ryan Giggs was considering. Well, he was he was going to, going to give him his debut in the March internationals. Had coronavirus not struck. And then Matej Kovar, who's a goalkeeper, who's twenty, who look, looks like he's going to be out on loan next season. I spoke to Neil Wood, who's the under twenty threes manager for the piece, and he, he was great in terms of his, the detail that he was providing. And, and he he thought Kovar was that's his next step that he should be getting a, a loan next season so m- m- the piece was kind of to shine a little light on, on these guys so James Garner's a midfielder capable of scoring spectacular goals Ted Mengi's an 18 year old centre-back who when we look at what Andy was talking about earlier with Axel Twanzebe and his, his injury problems this season it's been a disappointing one because I think this one could have been a, a breakthrough year for him hopefully he, c- he can get back from that but obviously we heard Solskjaer say that September was looking like the time f- for him so in that environment Ted Mengi's been brought in and, and Tosha wants to have a look at him he's the captain of the FA Youth Cup team that are in the semi-finals of the of the competition uh, I don't know if that'll actually be completed uh, or not and then Ethan Laird who is a right back who is really exciting actually he's he very good going forward um, he actually is the reason why Brandon Williams was shif- shifted to left back because they were both competing for the same right back slot sort of coming up through the ranks 15-16 at United so weird how things work out but he signed a new contract earlier this year which was a sign of how much United like him because he was out injured at the time he's had his own problems with injuries this one was a knee injury but he's back fully fit now and that's why he's been brought into Solskjaer's squad for first team training so I spoke to Nick Cox for it as well the head of the academy um, he's you know really interesting voice on it all and how it's not always the players we think that are going to make it through that come through and shine as we look at Brandon Williams or Scott McTominay occasionally there are the ones like Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood who you can kind of pick throughout so he was very much these aren't the only five there's there's definitely more players in the academy that could shine Uh, Ethan Galbraith is another player that I've noticed um, throughout this year Uh, a Northern Irish player who's who's very very talented on the ball the five that I picked were the ones that are either training with the first team had started for the first team so Dylan Levitt started in Astana for example and had 100 passes completed you know the most by far on the pitch that night you know so showed his kind of quality uh, due for a loan move so Matej Kovar you know likely going out on loan next season depending on how the whole football landscape looks. So, yeah, that was the idea of the piece. So hopefully um, people can have a look at it and and find out a little bit more about the, the next sort of batch that might be coming through. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. One thing I did read this morning um, when we recorded this podcast very early, so I had to get up very early to read this was a piece from Andy looking at uh, the wilderness years at goalkeeping position for Manchester United Andy there was some very strange goalkeepers that signed for Manchester United in between Peter Schmeichel and Edwin van der Sar why do you think Schmeichel was so hard to replace? Because he was the best goalkeeper in the world and I spoke to people and asked them the same uh, question as you just asked me people who, who played in the teams and and they just said he was irreplaceable and, and even I 
spoke to some of the goalkeepers who were at the club at the time, said it would have been impossible for, for, for anybody coming in. And United ended up using 10 goalkeepers in six years. OK, some of them were, were fringe uh, goalkeepers, uh, including some of the ones I spoke to in the piece, uh, such as Paul Rahubka, who's a very bright guy. Uh, Mark Bosnich was brought in. Really strange because Sir Alex Ferguson didn't really want him. Martin Edwards wanted him. They both agreed to sign him. Then Ferguson changed his mind, but they'd both given their word to Bosnich. He came in. The players actually liked him as a person, but he just wasn't as professional as as Peter Schmeichel had been. He wasn't as influential as Schmeichel had been. Bosnich was criticised strongly by Sir Alex Ferguson in both of his autobiographies. And Ferguson did also say that he was man of the match in a couple of important games, including the one where Manchester United became world champions in 1999. But Ferguson gave up on him very, very quickly, brought in Taibi, really sad what happened there. He was a good goalkeeper. Confidence was absolutely shattered, didn't speak English, went back to Italy. Cost £4.6 million. And then Fabian Barthez came. He'd been a World Cup winner with France. He turned up at uh, Carrington. United just moved to Carrington with his supermodel partner, Linda Evangelista. And I'd like to say that the players thought, wow, we're getting um, Fabian Barthez, the French international goalkeeper who's just won the World Cup. But their attention was taken slightly by the lady with piercing blue eyes from Canada who was accompanying him. And Barthez had three decent seasons, but started to make a lot of mistakes in his third season. You had Raymond van der Hau. He comes out the piece very, very well. But van der Hau wasn't Schmeichel class. Bubbling along in the background, you always have Edwin van der Sar. United had tried to get him. They tried to get him in 99, but had already given the word to Bosnich. And he ended up coming in 2005. So it was a piece I really enjoyed researching, even though I knew the stories. What it's a good thing to do as a journalist is go and speak to some of the key people and find out what they're memories and observations were that's the detail that you get in in journalism um, i don't know whether laurie feels the same but that makes your job w- worth doing because you learn new stuff all the time about an area which you, you know we should know about manchester united we're writing about united all the time and then van der Sar finally came and he ended up being the the oldest player in in the Premier League. He was hugely successful. He won the lot, but there were six pretty ropey years for goalkeepers. However, United still won three league titles in that time, so it's not bad. Definitely a piece I enjoyed writing. It's a great piece, and listener, you can read all of the articles we've just discussed and more for free for thirty days by going to theathletic.com/slash Man United Pod just to sign up. We want to have one quick word for Nemanja Matic, who just signed a new three-year deal at Manchester United. That means the 31-year-old will be at the club until 2023. This is the second contract extension he's had in two years. He's secretly quite valuable, isn't he, Laurie? I wrote in March when um, his extension was triggered to 2021 that they were actually talking about extending the deal even beyond that. Uh, And I think that perhaps a few fans are looking at this and thinking, do they really need to extend it to 2023? He'll be 34 uh, at that point. Is it a bit of a risk? You know, he's over 30. It's not a typical thing to give a a kind of extended deal to a player of that age. And I I can understand those concerns. Equally, on the flip side, I think that he's shown, you know, for a consistent you know good half a year now that 
that he really is a, an excellent foil for you know United's midfield now you know, since lockdown's been lifted particularly Bruno and Pogba gives gives balance to that midfield and I I you know I love um, Scott McTominay in particular and Fred and I think maybe McTominay could do that role in time in future um, albeit he does like to get forward as well so but I think Matic beyond what he can provide on the pitch off the pitch he's a very good professional and he's won two Premier League titles so not that many you know players in the United squad if any have, have done that so I think that that's not a a quality not to be dismissed um, and I think that I can understand why United have extended it and I think he can you know we know now he's going to be at the club for 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 three more years, and they can plan accordingly based on that. Let's get into the mailbag questions. We've got one from Sarah uh, at s fifteen ninety three p who asks: uh, Is De Gea struggling at United in the same way he does with Spain because United are looking to play out the back more? Uh, is Henderson's distribution good enough? Andy, you've just answered a question about goalkeeping lineage and who succeeds. But I think Laurie's got some stats that I want to get into first. I do, I do, Carl. Um, so I did a piece on De Gea um, and Henderson and Romero sort of recently, um, uh, sort of building up to De Gea's 400th game for United, which is a great achievement. And one of the stats that Opta provided for me was successful passes per 90 minutes. So Dean Henderson averages 9.5 uh, since August 2018. De Gea averages 14.8 and that accuracy for De Gea is 64.6% and passing accuracy for Dean Henderson is 39.5%. So you can see a distinct drop off. Listen, I'm not saying that that is a sign of De Gea's superior passing ability because I think a lot of it is to do with the style of play. So Sheffield United, I guess, have a propensity, even though they do play good football, for going longer, more frequently. So obviously if he's clearing the ball, it's less likely to go to a Sheffield United player than if De Gea is passing it out from the back. And as we've seen, there was a there was a, a moment very early on in the Bournemouth game where De Gea passed it out pretty nicely from a, a difficult situation that Bournemouth were pressing on. That being said, there was another occasion where he, he really did get a, a clearance badly wrong and it sort of skewed off. So I don't think that's really the heart of, of De Gea's problems. It's been actually more the saves or the, the, the stops that we think he should be making that he, he hasn't been doing, even though he also has been producing some, some brilliant saves as well. There's one at Brighton, one-handed, that was very similar to the one at Spurs to Son, uh, one-handed, that I think perhaps goes overlooked because we do concentrate on the mistakes you know the, the Stephen Bergwijn goal the uh, Junior Stanislas goal at, the, at his near post just looks awkward doesn't it so I think that's what is more is, is the greater reason for why we think De Gea's on, on a dip um, rather than his, his sort of passing out from the back ability because I think I, I think that's that's not too bad I think that's okay whilst it's not you know Edison uh, and Allison levels although as we saw with Edison you know Southampton obviously you, you were watching that game Carl where he, he's in that position that Shea Adams is, is then able to lob him from that's the kind of the, the jeopardy that you do have when you've got a goalkeeper that is basically a member of your back line so th- there's risk and reward in all of that and, and that's something that Eric Steele actually mentioned to me in, in that piece on De Gea and, and Henderson he said you've got to weigh up the risk and reward for, for all your goalkeepers what do you want from them and and, and, um, and you know if, if, if you want them to be able to play out from the back you've got to ultimately accept that there's sometimes risk involved in that so yeah I don't know if I've answered the question totally <laughs> totally Sarah but that's kind of my uh, rambling uh, opinion on it all Andy you mentioned the start of the podcast about De Gea conceding a near post do you want to go into that a little bit more for me well he shouldn't be doing it I wish we didn't have to discuss that and I didn't have to go into it a bit more we talk about distribution and Eric Steele who's, who's someone who Laurie and I both, both speak to the reason Manchester United first noticed David De Gea when he was 17 years old 
playing for, for Spain against Belgium was his distribution. That's what stood out over everything else, that he was pinging balls left and right. And as Laurie said, you know, Alisson and Edison, they've got, sound like a Texan country rock band then, don't they? Alisson and Edison. Um, <laughs> well, Brazilian even. Just given those, they're both Brazilian. They're, they've both got excellent distribution, but I've not given up on De Gea just yet. And I've noticed a few swings of opinion among United fans who seem to think that Dean Henderson, very, very good goalkeeper that he is, will be the solution to all Manchester United's goalkeeping problems. Look, goalkeepers make mistakes and it's only when they make mistakes that people start talking about them. And De Gea set the bar so high for himself that he was Manchester United's player of the year, I think five times in six or, or seven years. Four I think times player of the year and five times four in the times. team of the year, yeah. There, there you go, Statman. Right, and he's been, he's been, um, he's, that's brought him a load of credit, and he clearly still has to perform, especially because he's the best-paid goalkeeper in the world, and you know he, you've got to be delivering, and you can't be making the type of mistakes that he's been making. Uh, I've watched the the goal again several times on Saturday, and it, it doesn't look good. And the the goal at Tottenham didn't look good either. And I've seen people debating which one was the worst to concede, and people saying that the the one at Tottenham was worse. I probably disagree. I just don't think that goalkeepers should be beaten as easily at the near post as as he was. But then again, the defenders in front of him shouldn't be being nutmegged. Um, before that goal, you know, there should be some collective responsibility there. And United's defence, as I said at the start of the podcast, they had the worst game for a long time. It was the first time they conceded more than more than a goal um, in in this this winning run. And I still have faith in in De Gea. I'd like uh, to, to Dean Henderson to come back. And this was a suggestion put to me by Eric Steele. Henderson comes back. Him and De Gea fight it out for number one. They both get loads of games. I realise it's a situation that neither goalkeeper is going to like too much. Uh, but part of me likes the idea of them keeping each other on the toes so much that they both become undroppable. The problem is you can't have two goalkeepers and they both deserve to be playing uh, top-level football. One final question before we wrap things up. This one's from David Shaw, David Shaw 91 on Twitter. Thank you for getting in touch. Who asks, is there any other players at relegation-threatened clubs you feel would be a good addition to Manchester United? Um, obviously, there's been loads of talk about Jack Grealish, but, Laurie, who's your pick? Well, if we say relegation-threatened, make sure it's definitely threatened and not and not you know confirmed or anything like that. But I suppose you, you look at those bottom four, have West Ham got out of it? Um, so, yeah, Bournemouth, including that for me, and I would say David Brooks. I mean, I know I'm kind of banged his drum for quite a while but I've seen quite a bit of him for Wales he was their player of the year um, a couple of years ago and young player of the year sort of did the double and I just think he plays with a, a freedom to his game uh, he's got a lovely ability gliding in off off that right flank um, you know he, he actually scored at Old Trafford didn't he with that goal that was ruled out for offside just uh, a very sort of difficult one and uh, he's hit the bar against Newcastle so yeah he hasn't you know scored since he's come back from his injury uh, on football's return but he has looked threatening and I just think if if they go down you know how much could they get him for you know potentially would he be a, a really good interesting option um, as a forward um, you know as, as one of the forwards so he'd be my pick uh, if any if any clubs go down I like Brooks. I think he's a decent player and it surprised me that um, when he first came to Old Trafford and I thought 
Ecom play and started reading a bit about him, thinking, ah, he's, I think he's from Warrington, Laurie, is that right? Yeah, yeah, Warrington, yeah. Of the other relegation threatening team, I don't know whether you try to angle this question, Carl, to, to get David Moyes back as manager and replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. <laughs> I think I'll try, I think I'll, I think I'll pass on that one. However, a week ago, when West Ham beat Chelsea, I was like, David, you are a fine football manager and a fine human being. Uh, of the others, no, I've not seen anybody at, at Norwich. Um, Grealish at Villa, I like. Would he improve the current first eleven at Manchester United? I've not seen enough of him to say emphatically that he would. Watford, uh, they beat Manchester United in December. That was one of the low points where I'm glad that United are a long, long way from that. But even there, no one really stood out for that Watford team. I think United were almost the worst enemies that day just before Christmas. But yeah, that was a shocker. And then West Ham, people have mentioned Declan Rice. <laughs> nah. Nah, I don't think. Um, no, but I'm not in charge of recruitment. <laughs> you, fa- you fancy a couple of lads at Norwich, don't you, Carl? I do. I think. I think Emi Buena is is a fantastic, not too far off uh, attacking midfielder. Uh, I think Max Aaron's is a really good right back. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Watford. I think the core is a really good, um, bustling box-to-box central midfielder who could be you know, quite nice if you want to have all secession rank for uh, Matic. However. I'm not in charge of United's recruitment and I play far too much FIFA and Football Manager. So, I've got to say about the Curry, you're right there. When he came to Old Trafford with Watford last season, he was really, really good. The, the two of them in central midfield were the, were the best two players. So, yeah. Is he Manchester United class? Probably not. But had you said to me, would Odion Igolo be a Manchester United player three years ago, I would have probably said not, not as well. So, let's leave it to the experts, eh? <laughs> That's all for us this week. Thank you very much to Laurie. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. And thank you very much to Andy. Thanks, Carl. Cheers, Laurie. And remember, listener, you can read everything (laughs) on uh, The Athletic for the next 30 days by taking advantage of our free 30-day trial. Uh, Go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod and you can read everything about Manchester United up until the end of the season. Other than that, thanks for listening to another episode of Talk With Devils. That's a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week.